From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, and I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Hey, happy Monday, and we'll kick this week off with two dynamic guests. The first is best-selling author Greg Isles. He wrote Natchez Burning Trilogy, and we'll talk with him today about the life-threatening accident that inspired his writings and Mississippi Blood, the book that concludes the trilogy. Later in the show, we'll speak with Jenna P. Carter, a woman who's been battling breast cancer and fighting for her life. She decided to go public with her scars to help save lives. You can join in the conversation today. The number is 877. 877- MPB ring or email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email marshall at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Happy Monday. Absolutely gorgeous out there. First day of spring, of course, which we've had since, what, January? But that's okay. It's good, nice and warm out there, and it is pollen season, which is not a performance enhancer. A lot of stuff going on today, but I tell you what, we have got an amazing show up ahead of us. Number one, I'm going to go fanboy on you here because one of my favorite authors is sitting in the studio with me right now. New York Times bestselling author Greg Isles will be joining us here in a few minutes, and I think you're going to love it. And I can tell you what you will love is his new book, Mississippi Blood, which I read over the weekend. Um, my family didn't see much of me over the weekend, but it was a fantastic read. I'll give you a review in four words. He nailed the landing. It was fantastic. After twenty of uh, 2,000 pages, he nailed the landing. Fantastic book. And, of course, he starts his book tour tomorrow, and he'll be out on the road forever and ever and ever and ever, living in hotel rooms and eating lots of really hotel food. It'll be fun. Look forward to talking to him. And be prepared to be inspired by WJSU veteran broadcaster Jenna P. Carter. She has got an amazingly powerful story about how she's been paying her blessings forward. See, she is a cancer survivor, and she's been battling breast cancer, and now she has gone public with her scars to help save lives. Incredible. Sharita, you had a big weekend in Arkansas. I'm glad to see you survived. Yeah, I did. It was a very adventurous gig. I have those as a stand-up comedian. So. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> and you also say you had a heckler. Yeah. I had a heckler. And he was, um, he was inebriated, which makes it even he better. He was inebriated. Uh, he was asking me about Viagra. He wanted me to go home with him. What was challenging was that yes. they were not moving him away from the stage. So he was just standing at the bottom of the stage having a one-on-one conversation with me. And I kind of got smart with him. And then he got upset. And it was just it was just a mess. But I was still able to you know keep control of the crowd and make him laugh. And then I quickly left. So. If you didn't <laughs> shut him down and destroy him right after the Viagra comment, I figured you probably, you've lost your, I lost a step. But it was a small town so it was a place where you couldn't get too aggressive with the crowd because they might you know beat you up so was i was Dumas, very cautious arkansas, correct yes Dumas, arkansas but i won them over afterwards they were taking pictures and it was really fun so oh, that's great i'm glad you <laughs> survived it i took a car full of kids up to shiloh 
the Battlefield Park. Oh, really? How was that? That was a great time. Incredibly powerful place. I wrote a little piece about it. Um, Just, you know, it's one of those things that it looks like literally um, hell has gotten a makeover because it's absolutely gorgeous, natural trees budding and everything else. And you remember, oh, 24,000 Americans were casualties there, one of the bloodiest Mm. battles in the Civil War. It was a lot of fun, but we did go to Borum's Drugstore in Corinth, which is the oldest drugstore in Mississippi, and they serve slug burgers. Oh, okay. What's a slug burger? I'm not sure I know. Uh, de- you know, technically, that doesn't sound real delicious, but it, no slugs were harmed in the making of a slug burger. <laughs> what it is, it was a Depression-era food where they took pork and all kinds of strange meat, whatever they could catch, and I think it's just pork now, and throw it in with meal, and they deep-fry the patty. I did not have one, mm-hmm. so just to let you know that. Uh, mm-hmm. I hear they're delicious. However, when you have a four-hour car ride with a bunch of kids in the car, you're not <laughs> going to feed them slug burgers because there ain't many places to stop between here and Corinth. Right. So but right. we had a great time. It was a good weekend. And like I said, um, when I wasn't doing that, I was reading Greg's fantastic book. And how many pages is the book? Uh, I don't know. I can't count over 600. Wait. He's holding Seven, up 700. 700. Yeah, and you read I, it in one day. Yes. That is amazing. It was. I've been trying to read the same books since last year, like three or four different books, and I've not finished them. So well, that's a you testament. inspire well, me. Well, that's a testament. I mean, you know, if it was like David Wallace Foster or somebody who wrote a thousand words, I don't think I could have gotten through it in a day. But his book, it really moved quickly. Uh, there's a court scene in it that is very well written. It's one of the best court scenes I've ever read in a book. And I'm not just saying that because he's like three feet away from me and he could smack me. And I would, would not want to <laughs> risk that. But no, it is really good. And we'll talk about that as well. And there's some things I think that you kind of need to know. Five things you kind of need to know today okay. going on. Beauty and the Beast. I've heard great reviews about it. Have not seen it. Yes. Two thumbs, thumbs up from up. Greg. Yeah, okay. It's, it's $170 million. It apparently won over Facebook because everybody Whoa. on my Facebook over the weekend was giving it rave reviews. Um I I didn't go see it, but I, I'm going to go see it. And yeah. It was great. It's already made its money back, and it's made $350 million worldwide. You know, there was some controversy around it. I think there may be a gay character in the movie, yeah, and some like, people were like protesting. It was like 35 seconds, and it really uh-huh. wasn't anything at all, apparently. And You know, but mm. you know the thing is I've learned about protesting? It's good for business. Yes. It really is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that, we're going to talk about all the really controversial things in Greg's book today just yeah. to help him sell some books so that'll, that'll work well uh, Kong Island or Kong Skull Island was number two Logan Get Out is still hanging in there yep I've seen it twice I know Amazing you keep saying that you haven't seen it three times yet uh, no but I am going to go see it in the day when I'll be alone and I can enjoy it can without all the distractions it? exactly yes. and then The Shack came in fifth Oh, so. The Shack. That's kind of a, an emotional-like movie, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. If, yeah, very definitely very emotional. Of course, mm-hmm. the book was a bestseller, and now it's based on that. So anyway, yeah. those are the top five. Chuck Berry died. Oh, I saw that. 90. Horrible. One of the great stories I remember reading about him was he. the crowd was kind of tight. The band was tight. Everything was going on. He sat down and wrote a song in 30 minutes and mm. went out and performed it, and it became one of his biggest hits. It That's was amazing. Incredible talent. Um, Tough loss, but his legacy is just awesome. Incredible. And I'm glad we have that legacy. Yeah. You know, I mean, whenever somebody like that dies, you're just so thankful that we have that to cherish and the influence of him for the rest of our lives. And then for some reason, they sell all this music when they pass. Oh, I it's mean, amazing. I mean, I went back and bought some of Prince's old albums when he passed. I was like, why did I do this when he was alive? It's, it's so weird. Oh, same thing about George Michael, man. Mm. You know, yeah. I've got picked up a couple of his eight tracks, too. Fantastic. So uh, you're bracket is busted that's the third thing wow duke duke went down duke went didn't down. see that coming and if you're thinking carolina is going to beat duke you're thinking north carolina yeah, not, not south, south. Carolina. <laughs> i mean i mean literally you heard millions of brackets cry out and you know just go silent almost yep. like the death star blowing it up it's so. karma for grayson allen tripping people uh, all throughout the season so. exactly yep no just come anyway. back to haunt him so <laughs> yeah i know and it's like seeing duke lose is kind of like seeing the yankees lose you're kind of like it's pretty tough 
Yeah. Well, no, not really. But It was tough for me. Well, it was. Because I'm a Duke fan. Yeah. Um, the FBI director is sitting on Capitol Hill talking right now. And you could be listening to that, but you're listening to this instead, which is a much better and more entertaining because we can actually give you answers <laughs> on this show. Right. We're going to tell you what's going on here. What's his topic uh, now? Mm, Russian interference in the election and possible connections with the Trump administration. But other than that, nothing much. This is all running together. Like I, I'm trying to figure out what's the differentiation between what has happened, what's new, what's old. I mean, I don't know. It, nothing seems like breaking news anymore. It just seems like a continuation. Uh, Greg could probably answer this one, too. And being a fiction writer and I, me being a satirist, I guess, or cartoonist, sometimes it's ha- hard to out-satire satire. <laughs> I mean, I've been sitting here watching this right now, and I can think of a million different cartoon ideas, and none of them are as good as the craziness that's going on today. Right. It, it's just kind of nice. Greg, would you agree with that? Nothing I can come up with as a writer right now tops the insanity that's been going on. I know. Right. It's just nuts. It really is. It's just crazy. So um, in a tragic front on number five, 49ers icon Dwight Clark has announced that he has Lou Gehrig's disease. Wow. Uh, ALS. My, oh, brother, my brother-in-law died of that. Um, my prayers are with him. And I really, you know, a lot of people had ice water dumped on their head. And it got a lot of money for research, and I hope that continues because that is one nasty, horrible, terrible disease. And so my prayers go out to him. He's got an incredible spirit, and I think it's going to serve him well on this. And my brother-in-law did, and it was an incredible um, two years that we had with him, but it still is very difficult on the families and everybody else. So that, that was some tough news. And this is kind of a bonus, but Sesame Street now has an autistic Muppet named Julia. Which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one out of 68 kids are diagnosed to be on the spectrum. And I think that is, you know, anybody who's got an autistic child knows it is so neat to see that stigma help get washed away there. And I Mm -hmm. think there's nobody better than the Muppets to do that. Absolutely. So I thought that was fantastic, too. So those are some bonus. That's a bonus thing. So that's six. So those are some things you need to know for this week. And what you really need to know is sitting in the studio right now is somebody that, well, let me tell you my introduction to Greg Isles. Um, so I'm sitting in San Diego, California. I am the creative director for a newspaper syndicate. Our, our book reviewer comes walking through the room. He throws me a book that is really heavy, and it's called Spandau Phoenix. And he said, read this. You will love this guy. You will become your favorite author. And I did. I read it over the weekend. And since then, he has become my favorite author live from Natchez, Mississippi, on the beginning of a book tour that uh, will take him from pretty much from Jackson to Arizona and to Tahiti and back. <laughs> and he's going to do it all by car. A, little, a few flights well, thrown in there. A few flights. I know. Well, the ground, I, I saw a picture of your, your mm. new um, new ride. Nerdmobile. Ford, Ford Nerdmobile. Flex. Exactly. Congratulations. I, you know, when you finish a trilogy, like eight years of your life, it's almost like watching, I mean, you've got two children. It's almost like watching a third child go to, to college. It's like starting out young and ending up old, Marshall. That's what it's like. I, needless to say, you have had a very um, tough eight years, a very powerful eight years. Uh, of course, six years ago, and it's, I was looking at the date. It's it's almost been exactly six years yep. ago. You were going to your house that was under construction to look at paint colors. Yeah. You were riding in your Audi. You were on 61, weren't you? Highway yep, 61. Highway 61 revisited. Yeah. And um, somebody, it was a Ford pickup truck. A truck slammed into my driver's door. T-bone T-bone me, yeah. Yeah, I saw a picture of the car on your Twitter. You tweeted out much left of the car and there wasn't much left of you you were pretty banged up no i i tell you and i'll take this chance to thank my docs at umc i mean they they saved my life put my aorta back together and they took my leg off but hey i'm I'm still vertical and i hear this story it's, it's a lot better than having als you know I, yeah. you got to look at the 
upside. Well, you had like eight days in a coma. Eight and days you, in yeah, a coma. You'd broken every bone in your foot. Your, your leg was, of course, attached barely, and they had to take it off. You you had every rib broken. Oh, yeah, arms broken, hips, pelvis, every, everything. But, and, I mean, kudos to the car. Yeah, no, that car saved my life. In fact, I thought about calling Audi and saying, I will do a commercial for you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, for free, I owe you that. I mean, and, and the, the beautiful thing about it is, I guess, is it really kind of changed your life, didn't it? Yeah, I mean... My last book had been number one, and you know you're at a point in your life where you feel like, wow, you achieved your dreams, et cetera. And then all of a sudden I went from that and writing the first iteration of Natchez Burning to nearly being dead. And I realized when I woke up that I'm writing about Mississippi, I'm writing yeah. about race, I'm writing about family, I can't pull any punches. And that's when I realized it would expand to three books. And once I did that... I lost my publisher, my agent. I mean, it was it was tough. That's wow. not something when you're when you're a commercial novelist or they want you to make money. They right. don't want you to take some quest to change the world, you know. But it worked out. What to goodness. say? There's over a million in print of the first two books that oh, yeah. came out. So I think I think the bet paid off. Okay, it did. But it was a, <laughs> it was it was some <laughs> kind of road. I'm still sitting here thinking about what you said about the autistic Muppets, and I'm praying that Congress lets us keep Sesame Street on the air, for oh, God's sake. no kidding. Sake. No kidding. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Maybe that. they need to do a congressional Muppet, too. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. Okay. I, no, I, don't, I wouldn't want to do that to children. That would be awesome. awful. Talk about the book, because like you said, it started out to be one book, and it turned out to be three. Yeah, well... You know, at the the simplest way for somebody to understand this book is um, a reviewer once said, imagine Jim Finch grew up to learn things about Atticus that no son should ever know about his father. At its core, it's a story about, a, a you know, yeah. a son who learns that the beloved hero of a community wasn't really the person he thought right. he was, and he doesn't know the truth. And even though the landscape of the novels is civil rights murders, based on murders that really happened right. in Natchez and across the river. It's really a personal story at its core, and that's what people are waiting for, I think, to find out, did Dr. Cage kill his nurse? If he did, why did he? Was it mercy, or was he trying to keep her quiet? And I will say this, I'm not going to spoil anything, there was a very nice twist at the end I of hope that. So. But, you know, you and I are about the same age, and I'm sitting, I was sitting there reading it, thinking about my own parents, and, you know, you... As a child, you idolize your parents, you know, and then as you get older, you start realizing they're very human. Well, you might be 14 when that happens. You're probably lucky if you're 14, but yeah. you might be 40 when that happens. Yeah. But whenever it happens, it's a shattering thing because yeah. that is your your perception of the world flows through them. At the beginning of the novel, of course, Penn Cage, the mayor, now the mayor of Natchez, um, had absolutely had his whole world crushed. He wasn't really far off from where you were after your car accident. Right. Because he lost his fiance. Um, you know, he had to have security. He was living in this fishbowl yeah. of, of a house, which, by the way, is your office. Yeah, that's right. I was right. going to ask if your office got royalties for, <laughs> for being a major star. My in this office book. has become a something of a tourist attraction, which means it doesn't function very well as an office anymore. It's right on the bluff at Natchez, and people just walk up and knock. And they have even just walked in without knocking. Have they really? Oh, yeah. Well, like, that's got to be a little bit nerve wracking. Like it's a museum. <laughs> <laughs> Wave at the monkey in the zoo. That's right. You know, put a Here I am, writing a novel. <laughs> they throw in your peanuts there. You know, and speaking of that, and of course we're jumping around a little bit, when I was down filming for conversations down in Natchez, I was supposed to interview you then. I'm going to get to interview you today. You were right, like, on the last two days of your deadline. You know, my life has sort of been on deadline. I haven't taken a vacation in eight years. I was a week from deadline when I had the wreck, and it, it seems like I just go from one book to the next. You know, my wife says, you know, Aren't you supposed to get to enjoy this? Now, I'm not complaining. I've, you know, laid sewer pipe for a living. But right. but still, it gets uh, the pressure builds when you, 
you know, when a company and when readers are expecting, you start feeling like George R. R. Martin a little bit, you know, yeah. with Game of Thrones. How hard was that, seriously, when you're sitting there writing the third piece? Did, I mean, is this something that you had pretty much outlined, all three books outlined out, and you knew where it was going to go? Or was this something that just took you on a journey? It's the kind of thing where you think you know where it's going, especially that twist ending. I, I didn't really know that was coming. You know, yeah. in fact, I even finished it. I, I haven't told anybody this. I finished it. I almost never take any input. And writer, uh, writers are like that. When John Grisham and I were doing the organizing Mississippi artists to change the flag, he told me, well, I don't want to give away his pride, but he really only listens to two people on the planet, you know, about his writing. And so yeah. I don't really listen to anybody. But my agent read the ending different from what you read. Okay. And he said, Greg, I'm, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm not sure you got where you were trying to go. I'm not making any suggestions because I don't know how it should go, Right. but maybe you ought to think about it. And 12 hours later, I sat down and rewrote the whole, the last 150 pages. And he was right. How, we're going to take a quick break in just a second, but I mean, that was one of those things you probably didn't want to hear that at that point because you had to be exhausted. You're right. You yeah. don't want to hear it, but then if you let it in, you got to, look, that's the thing. Writing, you think it's so liberal arts, but it's a science in a way. Yeah. You're working with a, quantifiable thing and if it if you don't make it balance and resonate then you didn't do your job so he was right and i let it in and i thank him for it i'm not you know giving him extra commission but <laughs> i'm about to say we have this on record now i just wrote that down so we are talking with new york times bestseller greg isles and talking about the his brand new book mississippi blood and we'll continue this conversation in just a second this is now you're talking on mpb think radio This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. we got the best of Mississippi stories, and I tell you what, we have a fantastic author in the studio, New York Times bestselling author Greg Isles. New York, I almost botched that. I almost said New York Times bestselling Greg Isles. That's all right. You've sold out to the New York Times. That's right. The failing New York Times. The failing New York Times. Sorry. You're not supposed to say things like that. Come on, you're going to get me in trouble here. Uh, Penn Cage, who's, of course, Tom Cage is on trial, his dad, and... um. I mean, he's literally they're driving back from prison where his dad is, and suddenly, you know, he's trying to go to the bathroom, and probably the only bathroom out in the middle of the Louisiana Delta, and here's footsteps. Yeah. And ends up turning him to, and it's so interesting watching this character progress over the what five and a half novels that he's. Yeah, been he starts in. as a Boy Scout, and then he he ends up a little different than that. Yeah, you can tell that his world has been rocked by this book, and and how he takes literally things into his own hands, on that. And you had one character that I I loved, is Serenity Butler. Who's yeah. an author um, who actually I envisioned her to look a little bit like Sharita, actually. Yeah, yeah so, that's right. Yeah, so and that's a good thing. Cause she I was, didn't check Sharita's guns in there, but, you know. Yeah, well. There, and, there we go. Look at that. But like Sharita, she was a veteran. Yep. So oh, really? Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Army? Yep. So there you go. All so right. It's always fun for me to, to give people pictures. But anyway, not only is she incredible author, which, of course, Penn um, referred to her as being like James McBride. 
the gift for detail and also because of her parentage. But she wrote this inc- what National Book Award yeah. best-selling novel. Well, and it's funny watching the interaction between the two of them because here he had like here Penn's been this best-selling author and she's an award-winning author and they were both kind of envying each other a little bit there. Yeah, and I think he feels that she's a little more legit because of the combat experience. Exactly. And she has that really ironically that manly experience that guys in our generation mostly lack. You yeah, know? that thing kind of ran like a thread through the book. It was interesting. There were so many characters. Yeah. That, you know, their fathers had been in Korea or World War II and they had not because they fell like you and I between wars. But the good thing I think we mentioned about Penn being sort of um goes from a boy scout to a little little harder than that i think at least that shows you i believe in that at the core southern boys uh, when times get tough they got a little bit of what it takes to do what they have to do there was a very pivotal scene at i'm not going to say whose funeral but at a funeral where he suddenly the other veterans hand him a shovel oh yeah was, that, that, that was very very powerful now serenity butler though t as she is known to her friends had an uncle named uncle catfish I think everybody sounds like they need to have an Uncle Catfish. But I think he had the quote in the book that I felt like nailed Mississippi and nailed the just the, the let me, can I, you want to yeah. read it? You, no, you read it. You read it, Marshall. How do you wrote uh, it. I'll right. let you read it. Where can you, you read my handwriting? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uncle Catfish, he was a blues p- player and a pulpwood hauler and cutter. Said, I've been all over the South, man, cutting pulpwood and playing the blues. Mississippi blood is different. It's got some river in it. Delta soil, turpentine, asbestos, cotton poison. But there's strength in it, too. Strength that's been beat but not broke. That's Mississippi blood. And I think if you're from Mississippi, you know what that means. Exactly. And I think that right there, that spoke to me. Because, you know, I don't have to. I'm not from here, and I chose to live here 20 years ago. You obviously don't have to live here, and you choose to live in Natchez. And not only do you, you don't just fly in for the, for the cold during the winter to get away from the heat you're like very very involved in natchez and you know in the meantime while you're writing two thousand words worth of books you helped rewrite the the natchez tableau Ooh. that talk about sticking your hand in a hornet's nest well i, I tell you <laughs> the fun I, skipping the controversy i got to know pat conroy shortly before he died and pat called me one night when he was a little bit in the sauce and i told him i was in the middle of changing the tableau so i was working with a african-american choir which was great but i was fighting white resistance over a lot of it yeah and i was telling pat about fighting with the garden club and he said <laughs> he said I, I told my wife what you said about that and i told her if i ever get in anything like that you shoot my blank off <laughs> i've been laughing ever since that is that's perfect but i mean i mean you've gotten involved in natchez you're not just you know you don't just i mean you're very in the fabric of the whole well i really town. i pretty much ran communications helped run communications for daryl grinnell our, our mayoral candidate down there who won with 90 percent of the vote i'm proud to say that was a very positive uh, campaign too and i remember um Talking with some of the folks like Regina and some of the mm-hmm. other people in Natchez and how pumped they were about this. But but let's be honest, though. I tell you what I'm finding in this in Mississippi, we have complex communities and race is not the old, simply polarized issue it used to be. You get into a, a town like Natchez, 50-50 black-white, right. then polarization within the black community becomes a factor when yeah. you get black dominated boards. So c- politics in Mississippi is very complex. I've always said like in Jackson, for instance, it went from one set of good old boys to another set of good old boys. Mm-hmm. It was about who's going to get the contracts. Mm-hmm. And then that, you know, in the, the day it became about money, but 
I, and that's one of the things I liked about the book. I felt like that you took on some topics that some people would have done in maybe more of a cartoonish fashion. Not that there's anything wrong with cartoons. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, I mean, you took it on in a way that it was – and I think that's why the book had to be in three parts because each character had to have so much depth yes. involved with them. I, I always I, – I never wrote about the Ku Klux Klan. It, it's it's cartoonish version, no offense, of the South that Yankees have always had. And they don't understand that the Klan is an effective terrorist organization was pretty much neutralized and co-opted by the FBI in the late 60s, early late 60s. So to write thrillers filled with KKK right-wing nuts was not realistic. Right. But when I learned about the Silver Dollar Group, this offshoot in Louisiana that was very secretive and did nothing but kill people, hurt people, and these were real unsolved crimes, then it was something I knew I had to address. How tough was that to write? Of course, you're, you're living right in the epicenter of where the book is. When you're writing about people and you're changing the names to protect the guilty or the innocent, as the case might be, how tough is that to sit down and do that? And then when it comes out, everybody starts thinking that might be them. I once had, my biggest fear once was uh, one of the evil characters in The Quiet Game, this, this terrible, racist, corrupt judge. And I had, he's dead now, I had somewhat based it on a guy I knew who was a Natchez judge, and I was terrified he would sue me. He was a Mississippi Supreme Court justice, and here's what I heard. Three weeks after the book came out, I found out he was bragging all over the state that the character oh, was right on <laughs> So there you go. Any publicity is good publicity, Exactly. He wasn't quite bright enough to realize he'd just been insulted. Maybe, I think Our, he knew, and he's he kind of care. proud of it. Yeah. Wow, incredible. So you are about to hit the road. You're starting tomorrow in Jackson at Lemuria Books, and then you're going from there to Turnrow and Greenwood the next day, and then to Tupelo and Oxford. So you're going to Reeds and Square Books, then to Memphis, and then it just begins. That's that's just that's the homeboy part. That's the yeah. easy part. So you're you're going to be home, and it, and you know, I, I watched. Uh, saw some of the pictures from your signing yesterday in Natchez. You had people coming from Canada. Yeah, I mean, it shocked me. From Canada, Kansas, uh, California. L- lady worked at Wild Turkey, brought me an engraved bottle of whiskey specially made from California. From you got Wild better Turkey. fans than I do. <laughs> well, I, I, I really need to learn how to write. <laughs> yeah, I think you know how to write. I, I don't know about that. So, you know, you wanted to be a musician. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you still are a musician, obviously. You have a studio in your home and all that good That's stuff. That's the most fun you can have with your clothes on right there. Yeah, I mean, I play harmonica, so, I mean, I understand. There you but, go. you know, you can't pick up many girls with harmonica, though. Guitar, on the other hand, you did pretty good with that. Um, I loved what Dave Barry said, because, of course, you're in the Rock Bottom Remainders, which um, you and Stephen King have a lot of things in common. Yes, we do. Between the accident and the writing and the, and the band. And being mentally disturbed. Well, then there's that, too. But I wasn't going to say that. Um, but I love what Dave Barry said. He said, we play music as well as Metallica writes novels. There you go. That's got to be fun. Alcohol's mandatory at a Rock Bottom Remainders show. <laughs> Definitely on that. So, well, we're going to have to wrap it up. Your next book is going to be, you're working on it now, aren't you? I'm under data. My next book is set in Oxford at Ole Miss. Mississippi people are going to love this. Are you, you're being serious. I'm serious. It. I'm serious. It's it's real, It's sort of a film noir, like Double Indemnity or Body Heat or something, but it's set right at Ole Miss. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, Greg, how can folks find out more about your tour? Just log on to gregisles.com. Everything's there, and you can buy Mississippi Blood in any form in the universe. It's everywhere tomorrow. Everywhere tomorrow. Yep. And I can tell you, um, like I said before, he nailed the landing. It's a fantastic book. Thank you, Mark. Four stars out of four. Greg, it's good to see you. All right. Well, we have got a very inspiring inspirational story coming up next after the break and i think you're going to love it we've got jenna p carter she's a woman who's battling breast cancer 
fighting for her life, but she's decided to go public. And to tell you what, she is saving lives in the meantime. You're going to love it. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. We have an awesome show today. I hope you're enjoying it, and thank you for listening. I appreciate it. And we've got in the studio somebody who, frankly, has inspired me, and it's very good to have her here. I know she's glad to be here. We got Absolutely. Jenna P. Carter. She's, of course, you've probably heard her on the radio before at WJSU. Now, you're like the head honcho, aren't you? I'm the general manager. Yeah. I'm also a producer. Yeah. So, and a writer. And I, I love doing it. I've been at Jackson State for almost 13 years. It's been then, 13 years now. In May, it'll be 13 years. They're my family. And, and that went by really fast. It did. It did. Yeah. No, like, you're still there. But I'm I mean, still there. Well, actually, I'm on medical leave. I don't return to work until April 18th. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, I know I gave you a big hug. And you're like, uh, that was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sore. I'm still sore. I had my double mastectomy on February 20th. So, um, it's been a month. Month, yeah. And, you know, my first real day out, I'm with you. Man, I tell you what, I'm honored. I really am. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I know. I remember, <laughs> I'm now, honored I'm, to be here. We were talking about a little bit off the air. I'm a melanoma survivor. So, I mean, I completely, your whole story, I get. Um, I remember my dad, like I was laying there in bed, you know, mm-hmm. like I was on painkillers and all that because they, they just took out a chunk of my side. And he starts poking me in the forehead and he's like, get up. I'm like, no, I'm like, like, I'm enjoying my pain pills. And he's like, no, we're going to go for a walk. And I said, why? He said, we're going to make your story about how you got back up. Right. That's your story is how you got back up. Yeah, that, that is my story. I I found out um, that I had breast cancer August 10th, 2016, and I'll never forget it. And it's been super fast. August 26th, I started chemo and I was on chemo for five months, which, oh my gosh, it was so dreadful. So they it's, reduced the, tried to reduce the tumor size down before first. Before yeah. I mm-hmm. had my surgery. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm mentally preparing for radiation, yeah. which will happen in about two weeks. And um, because my cancer is so aggressive, I'll also yeah. be taking um, a chemo pill for about four months called okay. Loda. Yeah. And it's already come to the to Emmy to me in the mail. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is It's real. It's real. Yeah. It's realer than real. You had triple negative. Triple negative. Yeah, talk talk about that because it is a very specific, very tough, like you said, aggressive form, but it is very receptive to chemo. Right. It, that meant that I'm I was negative for the her two for estrogen and progesterone. Right. And um, so that's what made it aggressive. Yeah. Um, it, as a matter of fact, under my um, right arm, my um, cancer mass was 11 centimeters. Wow. And I had two masses in my breast, 3.5 and 4.5, if I'm not mistaken. And they did a sentinel node biopsy on you and found it in your lymph nodes also, didn't right. they? Right. Yeah. So, it, so, you know, initially I was told that I had stage two breast cancer, but then because yeah. it was in my lymph nodes, it was... Um, 
went up to three. And they don't mess around. They don't mess around. No. It seems like I've been in the doctor's office or in the hospital every single week since no kidding. Since August 3rd when you know I went to my gynecologist and told her I'd found, found the lumps. And I found the lumps under my arms because I'd lost a significant amount of See, weight. See, I would have had you in anyway because you, you lost like 40 pounds. Yeah. You look great, by the way. No, I will say you. that. Um, but you lost 40 pounds, and that kind of helped you be able to find them. Yes. So I saw the lumps under my arms, and then I did a self-breast exam, and I found three more lumps, and they were hard like rocks, and it scared me. But even in my fear, it still took me a month to take my butt to the um, doctor's office. Isn't that, I mean, that, who does that? <laughs> well, I, well, I'm raising my hand here because I can show you the footprint on my rear end where my wife kicked me to the doctor. Yeah. Same thing, because you do. You get the fear. My dad did the same thing with mm-hmm. his cancer, too. You're, I didn't tell anybody about mine for a long time. You weren't going to tell anybody either. Your brother um, kinda, outed me on Facebook. Yeah, thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, my my strongest supporters and my strongest team getting through my um, my cancer battle yeah. has been my family. And one of the things I asked is I want everybody to be here for my very first chemo treatment. And my brother assumed that I told everybody and I told maybe one or two people and so the um so he was with me and he took pictures of me at chemo and he posted it and he said my big sister her first day of chemo and my phone is blowing up while I'm sitting in the chemo chair I'm like what's going on and you know uh, what people probably don't know is chemo is pretty a pretty pleasant experience you know you're sitting in a recliner Mm -hmm. you're under a warm blanket you're getting your injections everything's timed and you get some pretty good drugs before you get the injection um so um, I'm looking at text messages. Oh my God, I didn't know you had cancer. Oh my God. And so, oh. and one of my colleagues actually FaceTimed me while I was sitting <sighs> in the chair. So I'm glad she did because it yeah. calmed her down yeah. and it actually calmed me down. Um, because before I felt the calming experience of chemo, I'm having a panic attack because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I just know that poison is being injected into my body. Right. And, you know, I was a little nervous about that. But, you know, that, that FaceTime call actually made it all better and i'm glad my brother outed me because it, it gave me the platform to start talking about it that's that's really important too because i, I mean i know people that have had cancer that never told anybody mm-hmm. I, that would drive me crazy because yeah. i think the support and, and not even the support of you know look at me look at me it's like how can i help other people go through this journey and that's what you've done yeah um and one of the projects that i'm working on is uh, called the beauty of cancer it's a photo exhibit and i've recruited almost 28 women to show their scars so to speak and that'll be in october at the mississippi museum of art it was going to be in february but the response from articles written about me and and people talking about my story led a lot of people to call me and then my doctors helped me recruit and stuff like that so um and the purpose of it is to save lives right. and for women who are brave enough to show their scars and it won't just be scars i don't want people to think they're coming to see mastectomy scars or radiation burns they're also going to see people you know praying at their church or in the prayer garden at baptist hospital or working out to get their bodies back in shape after cancer has ravaged it so right and that's that is so important because i think sometimes we're 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 presented a sanitized version of cancer sometimes and and you don't really realize And i even presented that you know some of the pictures i posted were you know my nice shiny ball head and you know me smiling it was good look you have a good looking ball head i will say (laughs) that much better than mine i would look like a klingon so (laughs) but i was in excruciating pain yeah and i should that should be my story that you know since i started chemo on august 26 i've been in nonstop pain and even when i was working out i should have known something was wrong i was working out three times a week with a personal trainer trying to get physical fit a lot of friends around me had died from um you know heart failure and i was like that was not going to be me and um 
Oh my gosh, I got chemo brain. I forgot what I was going to say. You know what? <laughs> now you're on the perfect show for that because I'm that way every every day. Every you were Monday. talking about working out. Yes, working um, out and yeah, and losing the weight. Losing the weight, and that's you should have realized something was up. Oh, because yeah. my happy endorphins never kicked in. You know, I'm yeah. working out, and then I read later that you know cancer patients are you know they're in pain and they're always exhausted. Yeah. And that should have probably been a clue for me to go get my physical right then. And it, I'm just I'm one of talk about you know prolonging and you shouldn't you shouldn't be in denial always you know put yourself first especially women we always take care of other people exactly and black women are dying at a abnormally higher rate of breast cancer than any other race that is amazing i've heard those statistics before they're just off the charts like 42 percent. yeah just incredible you you talked about the importance of being real and, and and I can see that because if there's people reading your things, you're talking about, oh, yeah, I have a great day today. Oh, check out my bald head. Life is good. <laughs> the birds are singing, everything else. And there's somebody else who's going through what you're going through, and they're seeing that, and they're thinking, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. But if you're real and you're saying, you know what? This sucks. This absolute cancer sucks. It does. You know, whoever it came really up does. with that, that, was, that says it all. Cancer does suck. But... It makes us better having gone through it. And I was telling um, Rita, I wasn't a person to laugh at myself, you know, but now I laugh at myself. You know, my eyelashes started coming off, my eyebrows, my hair. At first, you know, it was scary, but then you come to a point where you just laugh, you know, or my nails started falling off and you can see some of them, they they haven't grown back. It'll be a while, but you just learn, you know, laughter is part of healing. And so I think that laughing has put me in a better place. Let me ask you something. Excuse me, Marshall. No problem. Uh, can you talk about like how your views have changed on womanhood since you've been physically and emotionally uh, affected by cancer? Um, that my breasts don't define me. Mm, um, I don't yeah. have any right now, but I plan on getting some. Right. Um, and um, but not for anybody else but myself. Mm-hmm. Um, not for anybody but myself. So um, I want to heal first. And you know what? A couple months down the road, because um, women cannot get reconstruction until you know they've healed from their surgeries, from mm-hmm. radiation. So I'm months away, and I may get to that month where it's time I might decide. You know what? Forget it. I've been through too much. I'm going to, you know, do what a lot of women are opting to do, which is go flat. Mm -hmm. And they're still beautiful. You know, and it's, I love, one of the reasons I love having you on here is my mom had it in the late 70s. -hmm. And that was during the time when nobody talked about it because it was considered a loss of your sexuality. And then Betty Ford came out when she had it and became public. And then from that point on, it became very public. But I just remember my mom suffering because she had no one to talk to. Right. So you have now, according to your doctor, become a breast cancer advocate. Absolutely. He said that, you know, I had to do that. And I yeah. do. And I, I go on talk shows and, um, you know, depending on how, my, how I'm feeling, I'll write some things on, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also working on a documentary. Somebody <sighs> follows me around, Dwayne Doty, if you're listening. Hello. Um, and he goes with me to my doctor's appointments. He went, The last thing he shot, which I... Didn't want to look at, but I looked at it. it was when, you know, my first drain came out. And that oh, was yeah. a very painful experience. I mean, it looks like there's just two little tubes outside of your body, but what they're attached to is massive. And they have to come out these small holes in your body. Mm-hmm. And so he filmed that as well as some of my staples coming out. And I got all my staples out on last Thursday. And both of my drains are out. So that meant freedom for me. Yeah. You know, it was really, it was really hard, you know, trying to, you know, 
motivate yourself to get out of bed and motivate yourself to take a shower when you're in pain and when you look at yourself and you don't even recognize yourself sometimes. Right. So, yeah, I, and I have a good group. I have um, what I call my cancer buddies. They're actually women who will be in the exhibit in October mm-hmm. and they call and they give me advice. Oh, yeah. And, you know, um, for for everything, just, you know, and it's okay to cry. And And one of the things that I thought, that maybe it's not okay to cry, but I would allow myself a minute. So yeah. if I was having a bad day, I just scream to the top of my lungs in my house, and then you know I'm counting down 60 seconds, and I pop myself, and I get it back together. We're we'll continue this conversation with Jenna P. Carter. She's not just a survivor; she's a thriver, and we're going to talk a little bit more about her amazing journey. Ah, what a great show so far today! I hope you're enjoying it. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to the show that brings you the best stories in Mississippi. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, on absolutely gorgeous day here in Mississippi, first day of spring. Of course, it's been spring here since, what, November? But that's okay. It's all good. And we have a fantastic guest in the studio, and it's somebody whose life is very inspiring. I hope you've enjoyed it, enjoyed her story so far. Jenna P. Carter's with us, and, of course, she is a real broad, radio broadcaster as opposed to me. <laughs> You're a real radio broadcaster. Uh, I guess technically I do have a microphone in front of me, so I guess I'm not fake. But I, I tell you, um, you know, you and I both, I guess, we're in the media sphere, and we've got a platform and everything else. And, you know, you you had this terrible thing happen, but now you've got a person following you around with a camera. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's quite annoying. And that's, and that's I mean, I'm thinking about, I was sitting there <laughs> thinking about that. It's one thing to sit there and write on Facebook about your day. It's another thing to have a camera following you around that doesn't lie. Yeah, and, and some of the um, things he shot have been really incredible um, that may even make me cry. You yeah. know, to this day, it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm showing that. Like what? Um, like um, going into surgery and coming out of surgery. Yeah. Um, he's right there, and I'm groggy, and I don't know what I'm saying when it's coming out of my mouth. And to this day, I still don't know what I'm saying. And there is a, such thing as chemo brain where you lose your train of thought. You know, you can't put your sentences together as well as you'd like. So I hope that I've made some sense with you today. Oh, you've been a rock star today. <laughs> Actually, I was trying to think maybe I've got it right now. I was trying to think what my problem is on that. You know, I, I was just thinking coming out of surgery, and I remember that, you know, it's like time stood still during that time for me, and I know that's the case for you because mm-hmm. I bet you, fog. I bet you can totally tell me right now where you were sitting, what time it was when you got the call. For what? For when you found out you had cancer. Yes, 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 yes. It was actually uh, the day before. Um, I was supposed to host an event at Jackson State, myself and Rob J. Yeah. You know, a lot of people know Rob J. And yeah, it's kind of hard not to do Rob. <laughs> it's not. He's and so, so Actually, he was one of the few people that I told. So the day before, we had a retreat with the managers for the media department mm-hmm. at Jackson State. Good people, I might add. Absolutely. And so um, my 
doctor the previous week she had scheduled as a precaution for me to see a breast surgeon, Dr. Philip Lay, the next Wednesday. One of the best, in the, if one not of the, the best. best. One of the best. I in love the my country. surgeon. He's great. Yes. And so I went to her for the first time on August 3rd, August 4th, and she, brand new, I went to her because I was dealing with another issue, fibroid tumors, and I told, and I was told she was the best, Dr. Sullivan yeah. Ford. So I go to her, she sends me to Women's Hospital for my, my test. The next day um, at 6.05, I was going shopping to buy a new wardrobe since I became thinner, not skinny, but thinner. And she calls me at 6.05 and she says, got the preliminary results, and it says, um, highly suspicious for malignancy tumor. I'm like, okay, okay, like I'll talk to you, you know, next week. And she says, Jenna, that means cancer. And wow. my heart dropped. And that's all I remember on wow. that day. Yeah. 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 And so the next, um, and she says, you know, you have your appointment with Dr. Lay. Do not miss it. I don't care what's going on with you. You do not miss that appointment. And so, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, there's sis. You know, that's denial. Denial yeah. is very powerful. And so I, I go, to, I leave out of the retreat a little bit early on the 10th. And I go to him expecting him to give me good news. He does another ultrasound and he says, yes. Looks like cancer to me. I'll know, um, you, you know, the stage more after I do a bi- biopsy. He does yeah. the biopsy right then. And I get the news um, the following week. You know, it's confirmed. I yeah. believe what he said. He's, right. he's the top in his field that, yes, it's cancer. He said, I'm thinking it's stage two, but I don't know. When he gets the biopsy, it is stage three because it's in my lymph nodes. You know, it, but he did tell you something that I thought was really powerful. He said, you know what? You're going to be 100% cured. He said that. Yeah. He did. That's, a, that's quite him. a guarantee. Exactly. <laughs> and you were talking about that because one of the things, one of the more powerful parts of your story is that you, after you've become very public, you've had other people reach out to you and you've, yes. and you've now got a group. I've got a group. A support group. Yeah. And um, actually, um, one of my sorority sisters in Atlanta, Georgia, she had been following my story and she felt a lump. She goes in. Yeah. She finds out she has breast cancer. Stage two. Yeah. Um, so, um, and it was from my story. So I feel like, you know, I'm I'm doing the right thing. You're paying it forward. Yeah. I'm paying it forward. And yeah. she's doing good. She had her lumpectomy and she's doing way better than me. So, and I was glad. I don't ever want anybody to go through what I'm going through. It's been horrible. Right. And Jenna, let me ask more about the mastectomy because I, I have some Facebook friends who have also gotten one. Mm-hmm. Does that completely reduce your risk for getting cancer? I mean, uh, is it a preventative measure or what is it for? I did it. I only had to do a single mastectomy. I chose mm-hmm. double because, as I've been saying, the women in my in my group, my cancer buddies and the women who are participating in the Beauty of Cancer photo exhibit, their cancer came back. Yeah. They had it in one breast and then... Ten years later, five years later, it came back in the other breast. And after I got breast cancer, I found out that, you know, it ran in my family. My yeah. paternal um, grandfathers, four sisters, all had breast cancer. One of their children had breast cancer. And my grandfather's brother's daughter had breast cancer. I wish mm. I was armed with that prior. I would have taken better care of my um, my health, my so, breast health. So you would say it's important, uh, of course it is, for folks to know their family history when it yes. comes to sicknesses and things. Absolutely. And w- what about um, doing it while you're young? Because when you're young, many feel like, oh, I'm not going to be affected by these sicknesses. And they wait until the 40s or 50s and then discover these things. How early would I've, you recommend? I've met women who got their diagnosis of breast cancer at 29. And insurance mm. doesn't pay for you to have your mammograms until 
40. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, every year after that. And I just tell women, forget that. Your health is more important than a copay. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, and, and always, you should always be doing um, breast exams. You should always know what's going on with your body. Always. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and don't Google diagnosis yourself. <laughs> no, 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 because that'll wear you out. It's really a professional. Well. But, you know, Angelina Jolie did that. She did yes. that. She discovered that she had a very strong genetic component in there, and she went ahead and preventatively got that done. I, I think you did exactly the right thing. And I admire thing. her for doing it because you, you, I heard about that before my diagnosis, and I was like, wow, how brave is that? Right. And could you uh, remind us about the details of the Beauty the of Cancer photo exhibit? Mm -hmm. Yes, the Beauty of Cancer photo exhibit will happen October 12th, 2017 at the Mississippi Museum of Art. It'll feature 20-something women who will show their scars as well as what they what their cancer experience was like. It's not going to always be scars. It's, you know, we have some women who worked out during their um, entire cancer battle um, and they were stronger for it. So we'll have those women in it as well. Um, the exhibit will stay up for two weeks. So I want to thank the Mississippi Museum of Arts for supporting that um, effort. Fantastic. And how can fo folks follow your story? What's the best way? Um... That's a good question. I'll do some more Facebook posting. I, I was telling um, Rita that I stayed off Facebook for a, a little while, concentrate on just mentally healing and yes. preparing for the next phase um, of my journey. Um, and also, they can always call me, 601-503-5239. I'd love for you to share um, your story with me. We can have you on um, our radio show at WJSU. Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah. Yeah, just you, you know how to get in touch with yeah. me. Have my people talk to your people. <laughs> I will we'll, do, we'll that. do that. So I definitely know how to find the place. And I tell you, thank you for coming on today because you probably saved a life or two today. I hope so. Thank yeah. you for having me. Oh, no problem. All right. Well, that's another episode of the show that brings you Mississippi's best stories. And I want to thank Greg Isles for coming in and being with us today. And of course, I want to thank Jenna as well. And I want to thank Sharita for doing such an amazing job producing. Hey, you kept me between the buoys. Thank you. I appreciate that. Where of Southern Remedy is coming up next. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Butterflies all having fun, you know what I mean. Sleep in peace when day is done, that's what I mean.